Thank you for that, Brianna. That song goes so well with what we are going to uh, be studying today. We're going to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, there is so much in this passage that there is no way that I am going to cover it all or we will be here all afternoon. Um, I grew up at church here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor John. I learned from the best at going long. Thank you, Pastor Art and Pastor Burgraff. Um, and I take right after them. So the teens, I, I torture them that way. Uh, but I will try to be concise and brief today, which is hard for me. Uh, but Second Peter chapter 1 is a passage that I uh, came across while I was studying uh, Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit with the teens in TNT. And the passage just struck me as one that was so practical and so relevant for today. You see, Second Peter... Uh, Peter is writing to the believers to warn them about the false teaching that is going to come. And when we look around the world that we are in today, it is so easy to see that the end is coming. And therefore, if the end is coming, the promises that God has made that false teachers are going to be more and more prevalent as the last days come then we as individuals and as a church must be careful to confront false teaching and false teachers. And Peter is going to give us a way to do that. But unlike Paul, who tends to go really deep and explain everything so that you can combat the false teachers, Peter is going to take a different approach. An approach that for many of us, we might look at and say, you know what, this isn't for me. Or I don't need this. Because it is going back to the basics. Now if you know me at all, um, I enjoy football. Uh, I grew up rooting for the Green Bay Packers. Um, which about the only false teaching that I know Pastor does here is saying that the Vikings are the best team. Um, which we'll, we'll put to rest really quickly here. Um, and I'll pick on the, the Chicago Bears, wherever Pastor Art is also. Um, but I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. Thank you to, to Mr. Ashby and, and uh, Adam Work, who I grew up with. Um, and I, I enjoyed rooting for them. I, I'm going to pick on you. I'm sorry. Um, Coach Lombardi, Vince Lombardi, uh, considered to be one of the maybe greatest uh, NFL coaches of all time. Uh, has a very unique story and has a very unique um, way that he encouraged his team. Um, and it was interesting looking through it. Uh, Vince Lombardi started his NFL career uh, in 1954. Uh, he was what is now known as the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants. Um, and within two years, uh, he helped lead the New York Giants to a championship win. Meanwhile, in Green Bay... In 1958, they had the worst season they've ever had in history of their franchise. They were 1-10-1. That means they won one game, lost 10, and they tied another one. They were not in a good spot. The following year, 1959, Green Bay called Vince Lombardi to come be their head coach. He was a first-time head coach, and he came in and he told the Green Bay Packers, that he was taking charge of everything. And one of the unique things about Green Bay is they are owned by the fans. They're a franchise. They are actually not owned by an owner. 
And so when he came in, he told the board of directors, uh, I mean the, the uh, officials that were running things, that he, if he was coming, was going to take control of everything so that he could build a winning team. And that's what he did. Um, and he was very methodical in how he coached. In 1959, uh, he went the whole way to uh, the uh, championship game. Uh, or sorry, 1916, he went the whole way to the championship game in his, uh, in his fi- uh, second year there. Uh, and he lost the championship game, I believe, to the Philadelphia Eagles in the final play of the game when they were just yards short of the goal line where they would have won. And after all of the reporters and all of the fans had left, he sat the team down and he told them, this will never happen again. And he never lost another playoff game. But the next year, they were so close. A few months later, they come back to training camp um, in July of 1961. They had 38 members of the Green Bay Packers. And he sat them all down, and I'm sure the players were thinking they are going to pick up exactly where they left off. Well, Coach Lombardi had a different idea. He came up in front of them. He held out a football and said, Gentlemen, this is a football. They're a professional sports team that plays football. And yet he came up and said, This is a football. And then from there on, he methodically went through the playbook, starting in page one, And he walked them through all of the foundation and basics of football. It is said that he took them to the field. He showed them the football field. This is a football field. These are the out-of-bound lines. This is the end zone. The goal of the game is to get the football past the goal line into the end zone. It is reported that one of the Hall of Fame wide receivers at one point said, Coach, can you please slow down? We can't keep up with you. Right? I'm sure he was joking. Why? Because they were professionals at football, and yet Vince Lombardi took them the whole way back to the basics. Guess what? The next five years, they won the championship, including the first two Super Bowls, and then since then have won, I believe, another two Super Bowls, which is four more than the Vikings and three more than the Chicago Bears. So yes, the Green Bay Packers are the best in their division, And they are a lot better than the other ones that are rooted for here on staff. Unless you're counting playoff appearances and then the Vikings are really close without winning one. But anyhow, um, all that to say, we can laugh at it. But Vince Lombardi understood that unless the players knew the basics and the foundation they would never be able to grow more and to put into effect what they needed to change to win those games. They came so close the year before, and he took them the whole way back to the basics. Peter is going to do that for us. Instead of uh, going into a rich theological study as far as what the error of the doctrines were that were being taught, he challenged the believers to look in the three different stages of their life or steps of their life. Throughout the book, he addresses false teaching by going back to the fundamentals. We're going to look here and see he's going to challenge them with the gospel. He's going to challenge them in chapter 1 with their spiritual walk personally. 
the end of chapter 1, he is going to encourage them that the prophetic word that was in the, in the scriptures is reliable. That he was an eyewitness of many of the events. That he was able to see them and that they are reliable for us. And he makes the statement that we're going to look at that it is profitable for us. That the Bible has everything we need. And Peter takes them back to the basics. Chapter 2, he addresses false teachers and he warns them of the judgment that is going to come. Chapter 3, he reminds us of that the Lord is going to return and will set up a kingdom. And he ends the book again by saying, be diligent in your walk. That's 2 Peter. There's so much that's in it, and yet so much of it is just the basics. And he is going to remind them they already know all of this. But they need to be reminded of it. So today I want to walk you through three stages that we need to remember to stay true and faithful as individuals and as a church. I am so glad and we are so blessed here in Faith Baptist Church to have have been protected from so many dangers that Satan would love to bring us into. But we can't just rely on our history. We need to continue to strive in these three steps to stay faithful. The first step that we see is we need to remember the past. We need to remember the past. Peter introduces the, the passage, and we're going to look at Second Peter chapter 1 down through verse 15. He starts the, the book and says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have, uh, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter starts out the book with giving a common greeting, but he immediately launches right off of that to say, because of this, because of the relationship you have with Christ, he's addressing believers, they're saved. Uh, Those that have obtained the like precious faith, it's not that they were the same standard. Um, We are all saved and we are equal in our salvation, even between Jew and Gentile, free or slave, male or female. That is given to us by Christ. But when we have the same faith that Peter had in Christ for salvation, then we can partake in this also. And it is by the righteousness of God our Savior Jesus Christ. Peter reminds them that their walk and their faith starts with being saved. If you're sitting here today and you don't know what that term means, it's what we celebrated last week. It's the good news. What we celebrated at Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not because he deserved to die, but because he chose to be the sacrifice to cover the debt that we owed for our sins. Eternal death and separation from God. He bore that on the cross, but when Easter came, he proved that he had victory over sin and over the grave. And therefore, he can offer us forgiveness of our sins because of the righteousness that He 
gives to us. That is the good news of the gospel. That's what it means to be saved. And it is the foundational truth for our faith in Jesus Christ. For our faith here as a church. And we need to be reminded of that. Peter reminds them of their salvation. But not only that, he reminds them of their calling. He goes on and says, Grace and peace be multiplied uh, to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Uh, Down in verse, um, I believe it's verse... uh, 11, I believe. Sorry, I printed this out so I could find it. Um, Verse 10, he says, Therefore, brethren, be more diligent to make your call and election sure. I'm not going to go into all of the details of what it means to be called an elect. You can listen to Sunday School if you would like to. Uh, Pastor Fox dealt with uh, election. Um, But he is basically saying, because of your salvation, you have a calling Peter likes his callings. Throughout uh, 1 Peter, he has called us to several things, and he reminds us of that. And so he has already told them in 1 Peter uh, that they are called out of darkness into light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, they are called to follow Christ in suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he is called, uh, we are called to repay evil and insults with blessing. Okay, so Peter is going to give us this list, and he also tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we are called into Christ's eternal glory. And so this calling is not that we are just saved, but now that we have a relationship with Christ and we are supposed to live a certain way, which he is going to describe here. We have a calling. Part of that calling is that we grow to be like Christ. And he has given us the means of doing so. In verse two or verse three, there, um, he says that he has, by his divine power, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What is it that he has given us that allows us to have everything we need for life and godliness? It is through the knowledge of him who called us. Again, Peter doesn't go really deep. He just reminds us of the basics. If you want to grow in your relationship with Christ and in your walk with Christ, then guess what? Get to know Christ. Because the more you spend time with somebody, the more that you become like them. Uh, My wife and I have been married for 10 years. And uh, there are a few things that we can look at very clearly that have changed in those 10 years that we have become Uh, come from separate backgrounds and separate opinions, and now we kind of have the same in those areas. One of them is I introduced her to the the joys of always having ice cream. Um, And now she can probably almost out-eat me in ice cream, but it's, it's a close match there. But we enjoy ice cream. Why? Because the more that we got together, the more that we were with one another, the more that we uh, uh, walked with one another, the more we ate ice cream with one another, the more we with one another, guess what? Our passions and our desires become more and more alike. If you want to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ, you do it by getting to know Him. 
multiple times, he is going to remind us of this concept of the knowledge that you have. And that knowledge is found primarily in God's Word. So we need to be going back to God's Word. Why? Because we've been saved, but we have been called to become more like Christ. And therefore, we need to go back to the basics and remember where we came from. Remember the past that God has saved us. And what has He saved us from? Verse... uh, Verse 2, uh, sorry, verse, verse 4. By which, having been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may become partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have been saved from sin. Paul deals with that at length in Romans, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we have been freed. And Peter reminds us that a part of our salvation or calling is that we are to be holy, and therefore we need to make sure that we remember the calling God has given to us to say we need to be holy. And this is where it is easy for us to sit back and say, you know what, I know all of this. I don't need this. Guess what? The players didn't think they needed the fundamentals and the basics also. And Peter understood this. Look down in verse um, 12. For this reason I will not be uh, negligent to remind you always of these things. For you have known them and are established in the present truth. Guess what? Peter is writing to them and he already knows that they have this faith. That they've already been practicing this faith. But guess what? It is not enough just to have done it in the past. We're going to need to do it in the present also. And that's where uh, Peter goes on to say, not only do we need to remember the past, but we also need to strive during the present. We need to strive during the present. The second stage that we have is we need to strive during the present. And this is where... Peter is going to spend a little bit more time nailing us with what we need to do and apply to our lives. Chapter, or verse 5 down through verse 11. He says, But also for these very, this very reason, so going back to the foundation he has just set with our salvation and calling, he says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be ever more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter moves on from stage one, knowing our past, to saying we need to strive during the present. That we need to continue to work at this. And he gives us this list that corresponds so well with Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. But what Paul does is Paul reminds us that this is all done through 
yielding to the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one that develops this in your life. As the teens and I have been talking about through TNT. But Peter is going to remind us very clearly that we also need to be working at this. One of the quotes I read in, the, in studying this week was that God is not going to force us in this life to be holy and He is not going to change us unless we are a participant in the process. That's what Peter is getting at. We have already the promise that when we reach heaven we will be glorified. But right now is the time we are struggling through to become more and more like Christ. And Paul says you do that by yielding to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit flushes that out through your life. And Peter reminds us that in the process of yielding to the Holy Spirit, we need to put in the effort also and strive to become more like Christ. And so he gives us this list of things that we are to do. Um, He says that we need to live out our faith. We saw that already in verse 3 and 4. We already know it, but it's not just enough to know it. We need to now live it out. Because of the knowledge, we now are motivated to strive, to be more diligent um, in our living out of our faith. It's not enough to just have done it in the past, as we already looked at in verse 12. These believers have already had the faith, and they've already exhibited it some in their life. They've already practiced it, and yet Peter is reminding them that they need to continue to strive in their walk with Christ. Peter calls us to, dil- uh, to be diligent in living out our salvation, both in verse 5 and in 10. He says, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue. In verse 10 he says, um, therefore, because of everything we've already looked at, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Peter isn't pulling his punches here. He's looking us dead in our eyes and he's saying, you need to be diligent in your walk with Christ. It is easy for us to be passionate about things we like. Uh, This last weekend, uh, I just got back last night. There was a group of us that went camping and fishing. I love fishing. Um, I love trying to fly fish. Uh, I've been doing it for about 10 years. Last year was the first year I started catching stuff. This year, I didn't catch anything again. But I was willing and passionate to stand out there for three days, tiring my arm, throwing this lure out and these flies out. Why? Because I liked fishing and I was diligent to try to catch one. Okay? Enough that I'm standing out there and I get sunburned and I look like a raccoon because I have sunglasses on. Why do we do those crazy things? Because we're passionate about them. And there are things in our life that we are passionate about. It might be, uh, and that we're passionate about for other people also. It might be our work. That we are, we're sold out for our career and trying to better our standing in the corporate. It might be that we um, are striving in our school because we want to attain an excellence in our education. It might be in games. It might be in family. It might be in a hobby that you have. It might be gardening. It might be working in projects around the house. It might be serving one another. And those things can be good things. And they have a place. But if I can be really pointed and honest, are we as passionate about our walk with Jesus Christ as we are with those things? Because if we're not as passionate about our relationship with Jesus Christ, then there's a problem. It's easy for us to come to church and to sit in a service and think that's enough. 
Or maybe we, we make sure we get our 5, 10, 15 minutes of Bible reading and prayer. That we have a conversation with a friend. That we make sure we hand out a track. Those are all great things. But is that really being diligent and passionate about it? If you applied that same passion to other areas of your life, would you like the results? There are things that we go through in life sometimes that help force us through the difficult times. School, one of them. Sports is another one of those. Um, job sometimes is, is one of those. Okay? And those can be helpful for us because they keep us structured and they force us to grow even when we're not comfortable with it. But in our spiritual life, there's not normally something set up for us that we have to do, that pushes us beyond our limits so that we grow. And so Peter is reminding us, we need to be diligent. We need to put in the effort and the work. And he calls us to prove our faith and show that we have, dem- uh, that we have genuine faith by demonstrating it with attributes and characteristics that he gives us. That we are to be virtuous. That means morally excellent. That we are to have um, self-control. That we are to grow in our knowledge of God. He's already talked about the precious promises uh, at the beginning that we have been given. And we have so many promises that God has given to us that are of such value, especially in our, in our, in our spiritual walk. He promises that the Holy Spirit is there to help us. That we can have victory through temptations. That we can continue to grow. That there is a reward in the end. And there are all of these promises that God has given to us. But do we spend time studying them, knowing them, reading them? Or do we just remember there's promises, but we can't even name them? We need to be diligent in our knowledge. Going back to God's Word, at the end of chapter 1, he's going to talk about God's Word. And that it is not written just by human hands, but holy men of God were moved by God. And that it is reliable for us. We've already seen at the beginning that it pertains to all areas of life and godliness. And we have what we need to live a righteous life. But we need to be diligent in studying God's Word, the knowledge says we need to have perseverance. This is patient endurance. I think we in America, this is one that we don't, pra- we don't have to practice very often because we are in a very blessed situation and we should be thankful for that. That we don't have the blatant perse- persecution. We don't have the fear of someone busting into our meeting here and starting to haul off people because they believe in Jesus Christ and they preach his word. But because of that, sometimes we get really lazy when the hardships come and we cave. And Peter says, no, we need to have that perseverance, that patient endurance to go through the hardships like Job did. To say, no matter what, I'm going to keep my faith and trust in Jesus because I'm going to persevere. He says we need to have godliness. That is acting like God. How do you do that? You get to know Him. We've already talked about that. You need to spend time with God, learning about God. And the more you do so, the more you will automatically start changing to be like Him. But you need to put in the time to get to know Him. Brotherly kindness. 
Jesus says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That you show kindness to others. Do we do that? Then he ends the list with love. When I say, well, love, I got love. Go read 1 Corinthians 13. Then tell me if you have love. Love is uh, patient, it's kind, it thinks the best of others. It is sacrificial. Hey, there's a lot there that Paul deals out with love. But Peter reminds us that all of these attributes and characteristics must be active in our life and we need to be striving for them. Are we doing that? We need to have genuine faith that is demonstrated by fruit. He says uh, in verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The promise is if you are actively participating in this, you will be fruitful. Are you? If there's not fruit, then we need to be digging into God's Word, and we need to be striving to live for Him in different areas and in these areas. We need to be diligent to make our calling and election sure, verse 10. He says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. This is not a working out of your salvation or an ability to lose your salvation. That's not what Paul is dealing, or Peter is dealing with here. But this is demonstrating your salvation. Proving it. That is what he calls us to, to strive more to prove the calling and election, the salvation that we have. There are only two options that Peter gives us. To either be practicing these or not practicing these. There is no neutral spot in this equation. You are either striving to be more like Christ or you are not. That is what Peter gives us. Verse 9 he says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. He again reminds us we need to go back to the basics, and that is our motivation, because if we're not practicing these things, then we are blind and short-sighted. We are only seeing the temporal, and we're not seeing the eternal. We need to be striving to live out and to demonstrate our faith. What are the results of living out this faith? He says in verse 8 that we're fruitful. In verse 10 he says that we do not stumble. This is the idea of not falling into sin or disgrace or disqualifying ourselves from service either temporarily or permanently in certain areas because of the way that we conduct ourselves. He says if we are walking with Christ and practicing these attributes in our life, then there is a safety net that we have in our walk with Christ, we're not going to stumble into sin. It doesn't mean we're not. We're not. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect and not struggle with sin. And we know that. But there is a safety net that we will be able to not stumble. That is the the norm, maybe that is in our life. And then verse eleven, there is an abundant entrance in the kingdom of God. He says, 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What does he mean by this? Again, he's not talking about salvation, that we earn salvation, but he's talking about the rewards and the, and the, the means in which we come into heaven. We are going to stand before a Bema seat and we are going to be given rewards. We are going to be giving us, given a status uh, in the ranking of heaven and in our service for God, but that is based on how we live and how we serve Him now. And if we are actively striving and demonstrating our faith, then there is a rejoicing and an abundance as we go into heaven. God wants to bless us. God wants to help us. He wants to give us the means of enjoying His grace, His promises, His mercy, His truth, and His forgiveness but we need to do our part in saying, I'm going to strive after following after Him. So what does this look like in our, in our life? I saw a quote while studying that says, The quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to their commitment to excellence. Let me read that again. He says, The quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to their commitment to excellence regardless of their chosen field or endeavor. What they are saying is the amount of energy you put into it is going to directly dictate how much you get out of life. And the same is true in our walk with Christ. If we're okay just to come on Sunday morning to read a little bit here or there, and we're not diligent in our walk with Christ, then we're not going to grow. We're not going to have these characteristics evident in our life. But if we make it a priority and we strive for it and it is something that is important to us and we are going to put in the time and effort, then we are going to see results because the Holy Spirit will do the work in us. So what do we do? I tried to make it really practical just because these are really broad. And so I give you six points of what we can do to apply these in our life. One, pray about it. We cannot grow without the help of the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. And therefore, we need to be seeking God and begging for His help to grow. Begging for His help to see areas in our life that we need to grow. And we need to continue to do it both before and during and after the changes occurring. Why? Because we need God's help. Prayer is important and therefore we need to be praying too. Study it. Go to God's Word and find out what this looks like in your life. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and look what love looks like. Go study Job and see what perseverance looks like. Go study Daniel and see what godliness looks like or Joseph. Go to God's Word and study it. Pick up study books and helps to be able to help with this. If you're saying, I need to grow in my parenting, then pick up some books that are going to help give you biblical principles in how you can parent your children and your teen or your uh, college and career age uh, adult that's at home or even away, how you can minister to them better. A few years ago, um, I bought some crazy socks just because some of the teens like crazy socks. It has become something completely different now. It has become a little way that I can build a relationship with my kids. See, every Sunday morning, one of them gets to pick what socks I wear. 
So today Judson picked my socks and they are crocodiles that are eating my legs and he loves it because they have teeth on it. They fight over who gets to come pick my socks. Guess what? It might look silly here. I don't care because it's not for you guys. It's for my relationship with my kids because I want to take every little opportunity to grow in my relationship so I can impact them for Christ. Find the little ways. But to do so, you need to be thinking through it. And that leads me to the third one. Plan it. So study it and then plan it. Make a plan. If you don't plan to succeed, you will never succeed. Okay, we know this in every area of our life, and yet how often do we overlook it in our spiritual life? We just think it's going to happen. Plan it out. And then schedule it. Don't just make a plan, but make a permanent schedule for it to say, this is what I'm going to do. Maybe it is one of those that you're like, I need to spend more time with my family. And my phone is the uh, distraction for me. Then schedule a time that your phone gets turned off and maybe the whole family turns their phones off so that they can interact one-on-one with one another and build that relationship. You might say, well, that's radical, not having your cell phone on. Guess what? We used to do it. We can still do it. But if it's important to us to be growing in our relationship with our kids and our family, to be able to impact them for Christ like Christ has told us to do, then sometimes we need to do the radical things. Like Jesus says, if your right eye offend you, pluck it out. If your right hand offend you, cut it off. Guess what? That's radical. And he's not saying go mutilate yourself, but he's saying it takes radical steps sometimes. So plan it, schedule it, share it with others. The Christian life is not to be on its own, so make sure that you are communicating with others so that they can encourage you and keep you accountable. Make sure you communicate to those near you that are going to be impacted by the choices you make. Um, weight is one that, that uh, I struggle with, and so there's times that I'm like, nope, I'm, I'm going to eat right. I'm just going to do it. If I don't let my wife know that and I just stop eating her food, do you think there's going to be some ramifications? Yes, she's going to think I don't like it or that there's something wrong. Communicate with those around you. It's a really simple step, but it's important. But it is also important to get that help, to get that accountability from, from wise individuals, passionate individuals in their walk with Christ who can help you also to grow. So share it with others. And then six, do it. Do it. We can have the knowledge. We can have the best plans. We can have the blueprint all laid out, but until you you actually go out and do it, it means nothing. The only place success comes before, before work is in the dictionary. Success doesn't come before work in any other aspect of life. You need to put in the effort, so we need to go do it. Really practical and simple. It's the basics, but we need to do it. Let's strive for the present. And number three, the third stage that Peter demonstrates for us is we need to plan for the future. We need to plan for the future. Verse 12 through 15. 
Peter goes on and says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent or in this body on earth to stir you up by reminding you. Peter was motivated from everything we just looked at to say, my job is to continue to remind you and to push you. We need to remind ourselves daily. We as a church need to continually remind ourselves of the fundamentals of the gospel and the fact that we need to be living out our faith. Why? Because that is what protects individuals in a church from false teaching. We need to be doing it. Peter was motivated to remind us over and over and over again. And then verse 14, knowing that shortly... I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Jesus had already told Peter that he was going to be killed in the manner in which he was going to be killed. And as time went on, Peter understood that his time was coming to an end. And because of that, he was motivated all the more to be active in the life of the believers around them so that they would continue to grow. Verse 15, he says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. You see, Paul was motivated by the coming of the Lord. The coming of His kingdom. He spends chapter uh, 3 talking about that. And in this passage, he tips his hands that he knows that his time is coming to an end. And if The Lord is the one that is in charge and if He is our Savior and has made it possible to be uh, entered into the kingdom of God, then we should be living for Him in the present age. He was motivated by what what He knew and He was motivated to remind others to live out the gospel. He saw it as His responsibility and He was not going to be slack in it. He was not going to be negligent to remind the believers that they had a responsibility to be living out the gospel. Not only that, but he was motivated by an ever-diminishing time that he had. He knew his time was coming to an end. We may not have the benefit of knowing when our day is going to be. But if we did, would it change how we lived our life? If you knew you only had two years, would you do things differently than you are now? I'm 34 years old. Let's say I live to 80. That means I have 46 more years to live. That sounds like a long time. If you put it into days, it's 16,790 days. And if I had an app on my phone that counted down to when I might die, guess what? That would impact how I live. Why? Because major events in your life, you put on your calendar and they impact what happens. I knew I was preaching this week. That impacted what I did this week. Even though I was away, it impacted what I did. If you have a vacation coming, you are motivated to get ready for that vacation. Why? Because you know that event is coming. And as it gets closer and closer, that pressure grows and grows and grows. The day of the Lord is coming. Christ's kingdom is coming and we don't know when it could be. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. Are you ready for it? 
Or would it be like the last minute before you're supposed to leave on a vacation and you realize there's a lot you need to do yet? And you're scrambling and there's that pressure. Let's not do that when it comes to the kingdom of God. Let's be prepared because we're actively living it out now. In Lamentations it says, in in chapter 3, right after uh, the author has told us of the steadfast love of our God, that we can rest on Him, that we can wait on Him, that we can trust in His salvation. He says in verse uh, 27 of Lamentations 3, it says, It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. I have to ask my, the question to myself, am I satisfied with what I've done to this point in my life? And I'm willing on the same trajectory to continue it for another 34 years. No, I'm not. But lamentations remind us, even if you are young and you think you have 16,790 days left, that it is better if you strive hard now when you are young and you have the energy because it's not going to get easier. But even if you are a senior citizen sitting here or you are a parent with all of the kids out of the house, guess what? You're not off the hook. Peter was concerned about the legacy that he left behind and it motivated him. Did you catch it? Verse 15. This was Peter's desire. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter wasn't just concerned about how he impacted people right now. He wanted to make sure that the legacy was set that they wouldn't forget. Maybe that's through the letters that he wrote. Maybe it's through the disciples that he made that he knew that the teachings and the the discipleship would continue even after he passed away. What legacy are we leaving as individuals? What legacy are we leaving as a church? Is it one that when we are all gone that this church continues to stay strong because it has impacted the next generation and it has passed on the truth of the gospel and living it out that was Peter's desire and he knew that the way that that happened is that we were continually reminded to go back to the basics of our relationship with Christ knowing him and understanding that we were saved and therefore we are bought with a price and we are not our own but we should glorify God There's a lot of things that I forget. Um, Pastor Art asked me to write down an announcement right before the service, and it's like, I need to come up and write it down immediately, or I'm going to forget the two minutes till I get up here. Why? Because I forget things, and you do too. This week, uh, my mom came over to to watch the kids, and uh, we always did puzzles as a family. My grandparents... Uh, they always had puzzles going. And I enjoyed them. And I was given this puzzle um, in December of 92 from my grandparents. 
guess what? I had no remembrance that I owned this puzzle, that I had it at all. My mom forgot that I had it until she pulled it out and she looked on the back and it said, oh, Jonathan Hits from Grandma and Grandpa Deckert, you know, December of 92. 30 years ago, I was given this puzzle. Guess what? As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, I remember that puzzle. I liked that puzzle. I really liked that puzzle. Guess what? I forgot about it. But if we are going to be faithful individuals and faithful as a church, then we cannot afford to forget about the foundations of our faith. So the question for you today is, what are you going to do? What stage are you on? For some of you here, you may be on stage one that you aren't even a believer yet. And that you have not accepted the gift of God's forgiveness of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We would love to give you that opportunity today. I'm going to stay here at the the front at the end of the service. If you are sitting here and you do not know for sure that you're going to heaven, the Bible says you can know for sure because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let today be the day that you know for sure. Come talk to me. But for many of us here, what stage are we on? Have we forgotten our salvation? Have we forgotten the calling that God has given to us? Are we struggling with the virtues and the characteristics that are supposed to be evident in our life because we're not striving right now, we're not being diligent in our walk with Christ, but we've gotten lazy and apathetic? Or maybe it's that we're right now working on developing the legacy because we have been faithful. We have been reminding ourselves daily as individuals of the foundations we came from and the gospel that we're living out and what Christ has done in our life and you want to pass that on to somebody else. What area do you need to work on today? Dear God, as we close the service, I thank you so much for your word, the simplicity of it and yet the challenge of it. To be reminded of something that we know for many of us, we've known for years And yet it's easy to forget. It's easy even just to forget to make it the priority. Maybe we remember it, but it's it's not in the forefront of our memory because it's not important to us. Help us not to forget. Help us to strive as individuals, to strive as a church, to live out our salvation and our calling. To strive in the present while we have the time. And as we are motivated by your coming and the days... Uh, drawing closer and closer uh, to whenever you would come back or take us home. I pray you would help us to be concerned about a legacy of helping others that will continue even past us, past this church, but would continue on. And that's all done because of our relationship with you. And I thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that helps us. I pray that this week you would help us to be faithful individuals as we continue to strive to please you and to walk with you and to become more like you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.